Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. You know what? I use digital scriptures online when I'm, I don't know, working on the computer, setting up this podcast, writing letters, etc., like that. And I also use the scriptures on my phone, especially when I'm away from home. Uh, especially when I'm sitting in a waiting room for an appointment and I find myself with extra time. Having the scriptures on my phone gives me a chance to do something besides my scrolling through Facebook and checking my email. But there's nothing like having the scriptures in hard copy. Maybe I'm old school, but there's just something great about flipping through the pages, taking colored pencils and highlighters to passages, and writing in the margins. Today we're going to talk about 1 Nephi chapter 7. When I open my personal scriptures to this chapter, I see underlined passages, notes in the margins, and something new. The words up, down, and pep talk. They're all highlighted in pink, blue, and yellow. Although 1 Nephi chapter 7 is relatively a short chapter, for some reason I remember it took longer than usual to write it out. Because I was forced to slow down my pace more than usual, I found I was more aware when things were going well in this particular story and when they weren't. This chapter is only one chapter away from the account of the brothers returning safely after obtaining the brass plates from Laban. I'm not sure the time lapse between the two chapters, but shortly after that event, Laman and Lemuel, Nephi and Sam, are commanded to return again to Jerusalem. This time, it's to meet with Ishmael. On this trip, the brothers must convince Ishmael and his family to leave Jerusalem and join with their family in the wilderness. Oh, did I mention before the brothers were told they'd be taking Ishmael's daughters to wife? And this time, there was no record of murmuring. But hey... To leave to obtain plates as opposed to retrieving wives? I mean, come on, who's going to complain, right? Although it may have been a bit of a hassle just to get your things together for another trip to Jerusalem after having just returned, I wrote up here because things seem to be positive and there's nothing here to indicate the contrary. So up it is. Anyway, on with the story. The brothers arrive at the house of Ishmael and everything seemed to go as hoped. We read... Nephi and the brothers gained favor when they spoke the words of the Lord to them. The Lord softened the heart of Ishmael, and all agreed to head to the wilderness and join the family of Lehi. Not sure how long they journeyed before things started unraveling, but in my margin, next to verse 6, I wrote the word down. Laman, Lemuel, two of the daughters of Ishmael, and two of his sons and their families rebelled and wanted to return to Jerusalem. Verse 7, I wrote pep talk. Actually, I wrote pep talk number 2. Technically, Nephi's first pep talk was 1 Nephi 3, verse 15, after the first attempt at obtaining the plates was a bust. 
In fact, Laman and Lemuel wanted to go back to the wilderness, the very place they complained about going in the first place. Weird. Anyway, so back to Nephi's pep talk. Nephi attempted to change the brothers' minds by reminding them they're the older brothers and need to step up and lead. They're not hearkening to the words of the Lord. They have forgotten about seeing the angel and being delivered from Laban and obtaining the records. Verses 12 through 15, he teaches them again what it looks like to have faith, why Jerusalem will be destroyed, and makes it very clear if they choose to return to Jerusalem, they'll perish also. Nephi ends the talk by saying, For thus the Spirit of the Lord constraineth me that I should speak. As he anticipates the reaction to that last statement he made, I'm sure Nephi was hoping I could write up in the margins here, but no luck. This is spiraling into a definite down moment. Alas, soon we read the brothers are not pepped up, but rather riled up, angry and wroth with Nephi. They grab him, tie him up, and plan to be through with him by leaving him as a tasty meal for the wild beasts. In between verses 16 and 17, I see I have a decision space drawn. Remember we talked about decision spaces in an earlier podcast. Nephi has a decision to make here. You might ask yourself, if you were Nephi, what decision would you make? Let's see. You're tied up in the middle of nowhere. You're pretty confident that what you said was inspired by the Lord. Yet here you are, incapacitated and in the midst of a coup d'etat. I'd say the odds are against you. This could be a very confusing situation, wouldn't you say? Well, we know what Nephi doesn't do. He doesn't think, well, I tried and it didn't work. So I guess I'll just stay here and hope the beasts aren't hungry for a while. Oh, of course not. He doesn't give up. He does the thing on the surface that doesn't seem that could make much of a difference, but instead makes a big difference. He prays. He not only prays, he prays with a plan. First, he has to be delivered from the brothers, and second, to have the strength to burst the bands. Sure enough, verse 18 tells us the bands were loosened. He stood up and spoke to his brothers again. Verse 19 says, And it came to pass that they were angry with me again. I'm guessing from their reaction, the brothers must have assumed they hadn't done a good job tying him up because immediately they sought to grab him. It's fun to imagine Nephi thinking, Uh-oh, here we go again. Uh, remember the part about delivery, Lord? Yes, in fact, the Lord, of course, does remember the delivery part. In the same verse, we see how that happens. We read, But behold, one of the daughters of Ishmael, yea, and also her mother, and one of the sons of Ishmael, did plead with my brethren, insomuch that they did soften their hearts, and they did cease striving to take away my life. Right after that last word, I wrote the question, What did they say? We may never know for sure, but they must have said something powerful and convincing. We're told the brothers were sorrowful because of their wickedness, and they bowed down before Nephi and asked forgiveness. Nephi forgives them and suggests they ask the Lord for forgiveness. They do so, pray, and the next thing we know, they all went on their way towards the tent of Lehi. Arriving together at their destination, they gave thanks unto the Lord their God and did offer sacrifice and burnt offerings. In the margin, I have a big up written there. Phew! Oh my gosh. Up, down, up, down, pep talk, up. In just 22 verses, we might feel like we spent the day riding a roller coaster at an amusement park rather than reading a short chapter in the Book of Mormon. 
I remember feeling relieved at the end of the chapter when everyone came together celebrating and giving thanks. I think, oh good, they figured it out. They get it now. Everything's going to be all right, but not to be. I'm sure if I were rolling down a road right now, I'm pretty positive I'd pass a sign saying, more ups and downs and pep talks ahead. Here's a question. Wouldn't you say that when it's all boiled down, basically life is ups, downs, and pep talks? Oh man, the ups, don't you love them? Kind of like those times when I'm riding my bike. Life seems to be moving along pretty smoothly. These times are easy. I've got the route down, I'm pedaling in the sweet spot, I'm feeling strong. I've got this, I tell myself. I've got this. Until something feels a little off. It seems a little bumpy. Pretty quick, the smooth, easy ride is interrupted. The next thing I know, I'm off course and pull to the side of the road. I look at my tire, and sure enough, I've got a flat. These moments are like the downs. As a cyclist, you know it's not unusual to get a flat. It happens to everyone that rides. It's a pain when you get one, but at this point, in order to get back on the road, you need to change the tire. Gosh, I hate the downs. I've never met anyone that really likes them. You know what I've discovered, though? i found that when I'm with people that are riding the same route, they stay with me during the whole process. They keep me company, they talk to me, help and encourage. When they do these things, it seems to make getting back on the road easier. But you know what else I've just learned? Those same friends are the ones who have stood back at times and let me learn to solve the problem myself. They haven't abandoned me. They still care about me. They still are there talking and encouraging. However, allowing me to get my hands dirty. They know learning to change the tire myself makes me better prepared and enables me more capable to solve the problem when it happens the next time. Now, because I have this skill, I'm a better prepared writer. Now I will explain the notation of pep talks in my scriptures. When I see these words, my mind turns automatically to something that's been around for a while, called the Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. I'm sure you've heard of it. According to Chapman, the five ways to express and experience love are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Speaking personally, I'm definitely a words of affirmation person. Therefore, you'd see why I love pep talks. I have taped all over my mirror in my room favorite quotes, lyrics from songs, verses from scriptures, and promises from prophets. Having these words in places easily read speaks peace to me. Reading, hearing, or remembering words that encourage get me through the downs. I believe that's the way it is with the Lord each time He sends a message to us through His prophets. It's one of the ways He expresses His love for us. Living the gospel of Jesus Christ is like riding with my cycling friends. It's good to know when I find myself off course on the side of the road, God promises to keep me company, talk to me, and offer His help and encouragement. He stays with me and helps me get back on the road. Sometimes I might feel like I'm alone but I need to remember he's still there. I haven't been abandoned. I've realized it's at those times when I feel I'm by myself, he's allowing me to learn because he knows when I learn this way, I become more capable to face problems when they come. I'm better prepared. I know God cares for me. I'm glad to know he's just stepping back a bit, letting me get my hands a little dirty. 
It's not important you discover it first. It's more important you discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.